Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Right today, Tokyo is, is one of the great metropolises of the world. Everyone knows about Tokyo. The tourism numbers are through the roof. Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison-san, konnichiwa! Konnichiwa! I'm so excited. I really got so excited this morning when I started seeing all the Instagram posts. I know. it's And, you know, I got to say... One thing I felt because I started seeing it yesterday, I'm already feeling the time difference. Right, because things are coming up. So it's what exactly one year to go until Tokyo 2020. And everyone seems to be going crazy. Like all of the, you know, a lot of the Olympic committees, Tokyo 2020, of course, there's a big special on the Olympic Channel where they've got the ceremonies that they've been having in Tokyo. And it's, it's very exciting. It's getting it more exciting. real. And it did, I have to say, it did make me a little jealous because you are planning to go. I am not. Mm -hmm. And I kind of was like, was that a mistake? But I guess I could change my mind at the last you minute. Could. But I, you could. But I can't because of life. Right, right. But I, this is the first time I'm like, wow, I really wish I was going. I know. Well, you never know. Maybe know. you just Things decide. Happen. Maybe you just say in like June, we can do it. <laughs> there are tickets available apparently because i got more i know i saw i was so surprised i was i've been uh, uh i've been making friends here and i've been trying to be on time because i'm i've known for living on jarris time which is always late and i was going to be on time or early i think i even told my friend i'm going to be early to our get together and then CoSport dropped a whole bunch more tickets. <laughs> did you even show up for the get together? I did. I did. I did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but luckily, my friend brought a we book. Were... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, in, in our Facebook group, a lot of people got a lot of tickets in this. Yeah. CoSport just keeps, so now twice, CoSport has just done these random dumps of tickets. Uh, and it actually happened again this week and there wasn't anything I did like the other day it happened and there wasn't anything I wanted because now I'm really honing in on what's left on my list that I want. So we just got archery and uh, modern pentathlon. So it's a men's competition for archery and the women's competition for modern pentathlon. So knock on wood, we'll see a team Olympic fever member compete in person. But what's exciting, exciting. what's exciting is that Book Club Claire ended up getting the same session for archery as we did. So we'll at least have a friend in the in the venue somewhere. Will you be at arrows distance away is the I, question. I don't know. Depends on how how heavy you can draw. Yeah. It's, yeah. If it were me, basically, I could miss the side of a barn. So that would not be a good option. <laughs> Speaking of Tokyo, in the 
one year uh, leading up to it, we wanted to talk to somebody in Tokyo and get a feel for what's going on in the city and what, what it feels like there. And we met Roy Tomizawa. Roy is American-born but has been living in Japan off and on for many years. And he is author of the new book, 1964, The Greatest Year in the History of Japan, How the Tokyo Olympics Symbolized Japan's Miraculous Rise from the Ashes. And that is the first English-language book about the Tokyo 1964 Olympics. So uh, that's really interesting. Keep that in your brain because we'll come back to it. But he is also the voice of the blog, The Olympians, from 1964 to 2020. And he was gracious enough to sit down with us and talk to us about what's happening in the city right now. Take a listen. Now we're at the basically at the one year out point for 2020. What is the feel in the city like? Is it pre- as prevalent as I want to think it is, the Olympics? Well, no, I think uh, if you were going back to 1964 and 63, where you see, you know, banners all over the place and references to Olympics all the time where it was considered a symbol of redemption for Japan, uh, perhaps, but it was, uh, it was a, a goal held by all the people to make sure that the, the Olympics are come, you know, pulled off perfectly because they wanted the world to understand that they wanted to be part of the international community. I think today there, there's just no comparison. I mean, 64 was 19 years after the end of the war, and Tokyo was bombed out and flattened. Right today, Tokyo is is one of the great metropolises of the world. Everyone knows about Tokyo. The tourism numbers are through the roof. The goal for international tourists uh, a couple of years ago was 20 million by 2020. We, we shot by that over a year ago. Um, they readjusted the target to 40 million by 2020. I mean, which is insane. I think they hit 31 million at the end of last year. So the number, the, the popularity of Japan is just unprecedented right, unprecedented right now. So Japan is, is, is a very uh, popular place, but there's actually a lot of things going on in Japan. It's, it's, it's not, you know, the Olympics are just, you know, one thing in the future. That's not even the biggest sports event on their minds right now. I mean, oh, I, it's I don't the, know the rugby, you, the rugby, of World course, Cup the rugby World yeah. Cup. Yeah, and and rugby, of course, is uh, is not uh, the most popular sport in Japan. But uh, these rugby games are are doing extremely well. They're targeted to be the most successful <laughs> rugby World Cup ever. You know, I, I tried to buy tickets. I was able to buy one decent set of tickets uh, for the Rugby World Cup, but uh, they were hard to buy. And the international tickets were definitely snatched up very quickly. And so that's going to dominate the, at least for sports, that's going to dominate the Japan uh, through uh, late September and through October. So this is the beginning of the, the three, the trifecta of major sports events. In Japan, 2019 Rugby World Cup, 2020 Olympics, and 2021, the Masters Games are coming to uh, the uh, what we what we call the Kansai area, which is uh, Osaka and Nagoya area. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot of people want to come to Japan. A lot of people want to visit. A lot of people want to have conferences here. Um, so there's a lot going on here. It's Japan doesn't have to say, hey, you know, do, do you like us? Do you, we we want to prove ourselves to you. It's it's not like that anymore. It's a, it's a place where it's very natural for uh, the world to come here. Is the feeling of the of the populace, are people excited about the Olympics or do they feel like it's a burden? I think, uh, you know, the demeanor of the Japanese are... are Fairly middle of the road. What did you call it? The the, the Swedish reaction, or <laughs> when, oh, in the Swedish context. Play, in the Swedish context. So in the Japanese context, um, <laughs> the the average person talking to the average uh, average uh, foreigner talking to the average Japanese person will say, you know, we'll get sort of a, you know, maybe what you might think is a blasé reaction to the Olympics. Uh, they they may even say, yeah, is it really worth all the money? Blah blah blah. But, you know, my interpretation is what they're saying and what they're doing are, are quite different. 
I mean, we've seen nothing but incredible enthusiasm. They were oversubscribed for volunteers. They were <laughs> way oversubscribed in the ticket lottery. You know, I, I struck out, my wife struck out, so I got no tickets so far and I'm not alone. I'm pretty sure the torch relay will be a huge hit as they, you know, look for participants. So yeah, I guess uh, the Japanese will tend to be blase perhaps uh, in what they say about the Olympics, but uh, their actions are showing other ones. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the recycling program for the medals and for the podiums and how they blew their deadlines and that they were so far ahead of schedule that people yeah. really responded positively to those. Yeah, no, it's, it's you know, on your pod, podcast and, and other news reports, this is being seen as the, the hottest ticket ever for, for any Olympics. So, um, yeah, I'm worried. I don't <laughs> I'd really like to go to an event. <laughs> well, you can always, you know, trade some space on your floor for yeah. some tickets. <laughs> you have true. a bargaining chip, Roy. I, I do have a bargaining chip. But my, my, my wife also has a say in that. <laughs> <laughs> they have to be really good tickets. <laughs> so I have a question because you're a member of the American Chamber of Commerce in Japan and you're co-chair yes. of their Olympic and Sport Business Committee. What is that and what are you doing as a group uh, around the Olympics? Well, the American Chamber of Commerce is yeah. is uh, is a gathering of uh, corporations and uh, and individuals, and basically, it's a, a vehicle for us to uh, network with each other. It's uh, to learn from each other, and and also to to advocate to the government if we feel it's necessary. It's certainly one of the best uh, organizations I've been a part of. There are many committees. Um, I co-chair a human resources management committee as well as Olympic Sports and Business Committee. And what, what we primarily do there is, is we focus on the networking on the, and the education part of the, the ACCGJ mandate. We hold a lot of speakers. So well, we recently had uh, the head of uh, Olympic marketing for Coca-Cola do a talk on the, the torch relay. Uh, we'll, we'll have some experts on the on nuclear radiation come out and talk about the uh, impact of uh, radiation on the uh, stadiums in, in northern Japan that are close to the uh, nuclear reactor that uh, was damaged and, uh, in 311. So we'll, we'll hold those type of speaker events and we'll bring in people and it's networking and it's, it's education. So that is basically what I do outside my, my own work. How are some of the scandals playing with the scandals? Yeah. Well, you said some of the scandals. I'm only really aware of, of one significant one. Okay. So uh, there was the, the, the black Titans it, one, of course, is the most right. prominent one. And then there was um, the one that we read about in terms of construction. Oh, right. Right. Uh, that's right. So I Not think, playing uh, much. yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I'm actually sort of surprised. I thought it would get bigger play. I, and, uh, you know, I, I, when I think when the, the, the Guardian uh, in particular, I believe uh, a year, a couple of years ago, started writing about that, I felt, okay, I'm a bit worried. Uh, and then, of course, the French government uh, holding uh, the, the father, Dieck, uh, and wondering, you know, everyone wondering what he's going to say and what he's going to reveal. So I think there was, there was always concerns in the back of our head. And, you know, it reached a point where, of course, the head of the Japan Olympic Committee had to step down. So people are certainly aware of the payments uh, made to this organization called Black Tidings, uh, which are connected to the DX. But, um, you know, to be honest, it, it's not talked about much here. Uh, I'm not sure why, except to think that I think the world of Big Ten sports uh, and uh Bribery have gone hand in hand for decades now. Perhaps the average person is thinking, okay, yet another story. And that's sort of par for the course. Uh, 
you know, is that amount that was changed, exchanging hands, was, was that even a high amount? I, I don't know what's going through people's minds, but I think there's a, there's a bit of numbness to all that by now. So it doesn't get as much play, uh, certainly doesn't get as much play here in Japan. I don't know how much play it gets in, in the U.S., but uh, the Black Tidings scandals doesn't get that much play. I think um, there may be more sympathy locally for uh, charges of overwork in um, the Olympic venues. You know, the Olympics are a way to highlight it. It, it, it may be true in construction uh, across the board. Um, there is a tremendous labor shortage in Japan. I work in HR, the hardest country in the world to hire someone right now is Japan. And that's been true since, you know, the mid 2000s. Everyone needs folks. And I think uh, the immediacy of the construction work in for the Olympics uh, has, has just required people to work longer hours. Uh, and unfortunately, in some cases, it, it was it turned into overwork. But I, you know, I think, uh, it, does it get a heavy play? Not really, not as much in, in Japan, but uh, I think people realize that that's got to improve. It's just that uh, they're trying to figure out how to get things done in time as well. So the hope is that, of course, on the ground, they're managing it properly. But uh, I think it's very important that uh, people are always looking over other people's shoulders uh, to hold others accountable. But it's not exploding like a bomb here in the middle of the media. Similar, how worried are you about Tokyo 2020 blowing its budget? I guess I don't understand the numbers as well. It's hard for me to, to really <laughs> tell what's government spending and what's, you know, because you also, on the flip side of this, you hear that this is the most heavily sponsored Olympics ever. I can't remember the number, but Dentsu has just lined up a sponsor after sponsor after sponsor. And so, at least the Olympic Committee has uh, loads, uh, more and more, a higher budget than any other Olympic Committee has ever had in the past. You know, the government is is paying its share of the funds. And I perhaps if I really look deep into it, I could get a better grasp of it. But again, it's sort of the same thing like scandals. It's like, it's been true in so many Olympics past and we, we, we knew what we were getting ourselves into. We, we just need to make sure we're not so cheap and how much we spend. And I think, uh, you know, the IOC, like John Coates and all those folks that come here on a regular basis have, have probably been giving a very earnest attempt to uh, ensure that uh, the budget or expenditures are as low as possible because they want to, you know, make sure that these Olympic Games are, are attractive in the future. But darn it, these things cost a lot of money. And I think most people understand that. And while some will complain here and there, I think when the Olympic Games come and go, uh, people will realize that that was a pretty darn good experience. We'll see. I, I, I don't see it as being a, uh, as big an issue. It might be too soon to think about it, but what do you think some of the legacies from these games might be? I mean, we can't talk about performances, but I mean, you have some new buildings, you have investment into the city. What What do you think will come of this because like because in in tokyo 1964 the shinkansen was brand new and that's totally changed transportation in the country so are there any things like that that we can look back on 2020 and think oh wow that the the olympics helped make that happen yeah I, well i mean i think uh, 64 was was different there were already regardless of whether they had the olympics there those things would have happened anyway. So I, I wouldn't call the Shinkansen a legacy of the 64 Olympics. Um, the IOC um, might. <laughs> well, no, they, they can't. And, and, and there are other things they can point to, I'm sure, that are that are legacies, legacies. You know, obviously, we always look at the physical structures as examples of, you know, white elephants versus, versus legacy. And certainly there are a lot of examples in, in Tokyo. But I think anytime you put the Olympic Games at the service of city planning that already exists, as has been the case in Barcelona and uh, has, is probably the case in 64 and 2020, um, I think uh, it, it works out well. You, you know, I think New York City not winning the 2012 Olympics, they still forged ahead with a lot of 
plans that they accelerated for the bid for 2012. So I think there's, you know, it's hard to say that the, those those are the legacies of those games. They were going to happen anyway. The legacy of the 2020 games are the same of the, as the legacy of, of any great Olympic games, which will be the inspiration of the younger generation after they see all the incredible feats of achievement, the incredible effort made by athletes, winners and non-winners as well. Those will be the the lasting legacies to generations of people. You know, the track and field has always sort of been a, a weak area in Japan, but the, the performances of the four by 100 Japanese track team at Rio was a surprise, a revelation, and a total inspiration. Track now is, is immensely popular in Japan, as is now table tennis, as is now badminton, uh, as is now figure skating. So, you know, who are going to be the heroes of 2020? Uh, they will be the legacy of, of these games, and that's no different from any games. But, uh, you know, will there be other legacies? Um, you know, the, the governor of Tokyo often talks about the need to leverage the 2020 Paralympics uh, as, a, as a, a way to ensure that we have, for example, make barrier-free access for disabled uh, a, a common place design practice uh, whenever we look at how we plan our city or plan buildings. And so... Is that actually coming to fruition? It's, it's not not clear, but there are things going on. And again, I haven't really seen uh, anything explicit, but if, it, if there is a lot of planning going on that I'm not aware of uh, that's designed to create greater mobility for disabled, then that could be also be a lasting legacy of these games. But I, I always think it's, it's about the inspiration uh, that is the greatest legacy of any of these games. If Japan could only win one gold medal, what in what sport do you think that people would pick? Is this the lightning round already? No, no, no. Yet, this, is just, this is just talking about the Japanese culture, as in what do you think oh, they man. would Oh, man, how say? do you pick judo versus karate? Well, even, okay, you could pick two. You can pick a women's and a men's. How about that? Oh, gosh. I think if, if Japan won... Uh, one of the sprint medals, and it would be the men's, it wouldn't be women's, you know, a gold medal, like in 100 meters or four by 100, that would send Japan into a tizzy. Because, you know, there's traditionally that was probably considered, sprint was probably considered an area that Japan would never really ever get to those top levels. Let's see, where else? Gosh, I don't know. Uh, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> Stuck on that one. Let me think about that. Sorry, okay. that doesn't work. That's okay. <laughs> well, what are you excited about for the Olympics? What are you most? Like, let's say you could get tickets to anything. What would you be excited to see? Uh, I guess my situation is a bit unique. I would love it that of of you know uh, at least a handful or as many as possible of the seventy plus Olympians that I interviewed. Uh, from 64, make it here to Tokyo during the 2020 Games, and I can sit with them in the venue of the of the sport that they competed in. You know, I have a fairly large group of uh, diving, judo, field hockey, track networks in the 64. I mean, I would just love to be sitting with them, watching the events, and reminiscing about past Olympics. Uh, that would be exciting for me. You know, of course, I'm an American and living in Japan, so I'd be very excited for the favorites in America and Japan to do well. Of course, I'd love to go to the basketball finals. I would presume America would be there. I would love to go to the, uh, uh, the finals of a lot of the track meets. You know, I... I would love to go to some of the, the women's wrestling events because the Japanese women are so strong. Oh, that's right. And, oh, yeah. And uh, they're going to they're gonna do well there. Um, sports climbing, the Japanese are very strong. Um, and I've, uh, I've seen some of uh, the events here in Japan. And that is a hugely popular sport right now. 
I think it'd be cool to go to the skateboarding events. Uh, I used to skateboard when I was a kid pretty poorly, but uh, you know, it's kind of cool that it's now an Olympic sport. Surfing, I don't know much about surfing, but that's pretty unique. I mean, how often do you get a chance to see an event like that? I mean, I guess I can go on and on, but I... I got to get me tickets first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you started talking about events because I was going to have to reprimand you because I did not bring my Kleenex over to my little recording station. And (laughs) both of us just about lost it when you talked about being able to meet the people you interviewed in person. Huh? We, we cry easily as okay, if yeah. you've been listening to us you know so I'm like okay watching an event with somebody who was there in 64 yeah that I'd be sitting there sobbing and it yeah it, wouldn't that be cool that oh would my be gosh, amazing that would be fantastic. Uh, so are you thinking about a book for, for 2020 <laughs> no not really <laughs> gosh I mean, everyone's gonna write about 2020 no I gotta write about something that's different I, I, I mean, there are, there are things that I'm interested in, but uh, and I've started doing some research uh, on what does it take for a person in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, you know, if they're a, you know, an A personality type that just competes all the time and they go to master's events all the time, you know, what would be the book for them to, to prepare them physically and psychologically uh, at their advanced stages? That's the type of book I'm, I'm interested in right now. There isn't any book on that right now. There's a lot of, you know, normal health and fitness books for those ages, but uh, not for the, the hugely competitive people uh, that go to master's games and things like that. So uh, that's an area I'm researching. Data analytics is, sports data analytics is fascinating. Uh, that area is just advancing so quickly and its connection to sports betting is just, is so fascinating and, and scary at the same time. So those are two areas that I'm I'm interested in. So 2020, I'm sure someone's going to write that book. Maybe I will. Maybe there's an angle. Thank you so much, Roy. You can get Roy's book, 1964, The Greatest Year in the History of Japan, How the Tokyo Olympics Symbolized Japan's Miraculous Rise from the Ashes at Amazon. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And if you get it now, you will be ready for our book club next year. Roy's book will be our selection in the run-up to Tokyo 2020, and we'll have a second part of our interview with him closer to when we read the book. And it's a book that we appreciate because it has a subtitle and a sub-subtitle. <laughs> so Roy is definitely our people. No, but that was great. When I was listening back to the interview, I got teary again thinking about how neat it would be to be able to watch the games with Olympians you've interviewed. You may get that chance. Yeah, I guess so. I, I don't well, know. Well, but... at the very least, to see the people that we've interviewed compete at the Olympics. Right. I guess I'm going to have to bring some, a lot of Kleenex. Yeah. Or, or get mm. a good Kleenex supplier. Um, I was going to say, wait, no, you can't have Kleenex. You have to have Puffs, P&G. Oh, that's right. Right. that's right. That's no right. Kleenex. Sorry. At the sorry. Sorry. You know, it's interesting because the Tokyo organizers have apparently been working very hard to make more seats available for the Japanese audience because the demand for tickets has been so overwhelming that people like Roy, who really want to go, haven't been lucky in the lottery. So they're going to have another lottery and get another chance. Meanwhile, it's it's also interesting. We'll do a, just a quick ticket aside. Our ticket guru, Ken Haskam, posted on Twitter, one of the ticket resellers named Kingdom Sports Group published their lottery results. And they also, what, what they did was published the percentage of applicants for each event so you knew how big of a chance you had and they also said hey there are some things we didn't have tickets available at all so which i thought that was really nice to see and would be nice that if other ticket resellers did that so you know that oh i have no chance of going to the closing ceremonies in at least this round because they had no tickets at all right because when we talked to ken he talked about what different resellers get Right, right. And how many tickets they get. And I'm sure there are some countries that just don't get 
opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies, mm-hmm. women's and, gymnastics. And this you know, one was these... interesting because they didn't even get track cycling. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was it was really interesting and kind of a breath of fresh air in this process that is so difficult to understand. So opaque, a little transparency yes. for a change. Yes, exactly. So thank you, Kingdom Sports Group, other ticket resellers. Take their cues, please. And speaking of travel, Roy's website is theolympians.co. And I know some people have been asking for information about travel to the 2020 Olympics, particularly in terms of flights and hotels. And we're really working on trying to get a guest for that information to have it on a podcast platform. But Roy has a great article about hotels on his website. So check that out at theolympians.co. All right. Well, one year out, we've got a lot of Tokyo 2020 news. We do. The field cast uniforms are out. Now, the field cast, they're the volunteer corps. And there will be 90,000 of them across the city. And here's another thing. Like 200,000 people applied for these 90,000 roles. And I, I have seen on social media, like... Why haven't I gotten any information about volunteer stuff? I'd be perfect for the perfect for this. I speak all these languages. I have all this background. Like, well, you know, you're one of 200,000 people for 90,000 slots. You might not get a shot. And I'm, do they, did they say they were reserving some spots for non-Japanese? I don't know. I think they, I I think think they are just to make sure they have some, some cultural, connections and some language connections that they may not be able to get from the local audience. But I would imagine that most of the volunteers will be Japanese, especially since there was such an interest from the community in being a volunteer for the event, which is just Amazing. so, yeah. And it's so heartwarming to know that people are really supporting the event and really want to be involved with it. So, and now we get to see the snazzy outfits they get to wear. They are snazzy. I think they look really good. I do think they good. They do look good. My favorite part is so it's a. I mean, basically, it's a polo shirt and a pair of convertible pants shorts. Right. That's the basic premise. But I love the convertible pants shorts. I do too. So you, yeah, you can zip off the pants and make them shorts. They're really they they look cool. Like they look like they will be temperature um, cool. temperature wise temperature wise cool. You're right. So. But they do also look cool. Yes, and it's, exactly. they have recycled fabric in them, and they're supposed to be gender neutral and age neutral, and I think they are. I think they achieved all those things that they were trying to achieve with them. Yeah, and there are a couple of different styles of blue. So oh, there's a a hot weather uniform. They say that's it's a navy blue polo shirt and the the trousers. They also get sneakers, and then there's also socks zip-up jackets, brimmed hats, and bags. So you will be all set. You will. And and some of the some of the uniforms are or like the jackets and the the shirts are kind of a ombre effect that goes from a light blue down to a darker blue and it has the checkered pattern over part of the shirt. And then some of the shirts are just the blue and white checkered, big checks, so you can really I think they'll really stand out. I guess for different venues, they'll mm-hmm. need and different if you're on the street they want to have somebody who's right very yeah so one noticeable. is yeah one is the field cast which will be at the venues in athletes village and the other is for the city cast who will be at airports and train stations the uniforms i think are nicely visible but not like oh Tacky. hey you're bit yeah you're a big blue blob that would be a whole other kind of event <laughs> Also, the metal designs are out. Did you get a chance to take a look at them? I did look at them. Okay, so I want to read some of what they describe it as because I thought that the language they use was very interesting. So the metals resemble rough stones that have been polished to a shine with light and brilliance. And they're supposed to symbolize diversity and represent a world where people who compete in sports and work hard are honored. And the... Shine is supposed to signify the warm glow of friendship by people all over the world holding hands. Isn't that nice? It's nice. I see the shine and the. I'm not seeing the other one. My very first impression when I looked at them was it reminded me of a pavlova cookie. Oh, okay. 
But when I got to look at it a little bit more, then I was thinking it sort of looked like an artistic impression of a bird's nest because it's higher on the sides than it is in the center. Oh, okay. So it has a, it's very hard to tell in the picture. You have to see a side view of it. Oh, yeah, I do see that. There's a raise. Oh, that makes it more interesting to me. I thought so too. So one side is the Tokyo 2020 logo. And then the other side really surprised me at how classic it looked in terms of a classical metal. I agree. And it said in the description, like the IOC regulations stipulate that the obverse metal design should include the following elements. Nike, the Greek goddess of victory in front of the um, Panathenaico Stadium, the official name of the respective games, and the Olympic five ring symbol. I wonder if that's a new regulation. I don't know, because I, I really feel like, at least for Rio, I don't remember that element of the medals. I completely, I had the exact same reaction saying, wow, that side looks like a medal from 1968 or 1956. Yeah, it looks really classical. Which oh, I know, but, but honest to Pete, I'm looking at a, a Rio medal now, and it does have on the one side... Nike in the stadium with the rings. Huh. The things we learn. I know. Because that's not usually what you see. You usually see the the side that's got the games on which games it is and the Right, the distinct element Mm -hmm. of that games medal to make it look different than all the others. And then the other side is the thing that looks like historically all the medals. Right. Oh, how interesting. London twenty twelve, same thing. So, yes, I guess that one side must always be quite similar so that carries on one theme that carry on from games to games. And it looks like it's only a summer thing, which makes sense because the stadium was for the summer games. It's the original Greek stadium. Right. They didn't exactly have biathlon in Greece. (laughs) Just saying. But the really one of the cool things that I saw about the medals was the ribbon. Mm -hmm. Apparently, there's something about the feel of the ribbon that you can tell what's a gold medal, a silver medal and a bronze medal by touching the ribbon. Really? So it has some different pattern in the fabric. Oh, how interesting. But just touching it. How interesting. I wonder if that's going to transfer over to the Paralympic medals as well. I would expect so. That's a really cool feature. So no mix up on the metals because you can just feel the difference. So interesting. And makes it harder to counterfeit, I would believe. I would expect so. Well, well done. They are, they are cool looking. And I, I do love the fact that they're recycled. I can't get over how amazing that whole program was and how nobody else has come up with that before. Right. But they put all that recycled cell phones to good use. That's right. And they've been celebrating along with their ceremonies. They've been doing that go-go try the sports event. They've got test events going on. Surfing has been there. Badminton is starting up its test event. Volleyball's got its test event going. So there's a lot of activity going on and a lot of testing of venues. And it's just you really are starting to feel that things are happening I will be having my test event this weekend. Yes. What are, what are you doing? So my test event will involve testing my couch, <laughs> testing my attire. We talked about this before. So I would like to see some other Olympic fans posting pictures of their test events. So if you post it on Instagram and Twitter, we should probably have a hashtag. Hashtag OF test event. OF test event. And then in the Facebook group, just put them on up there and let me take a look. I want to see food. I want to see selections of clothing. I want to see your your setup. I know some people like triple screen when they watch. Mm -hmm. I want to see the whole thing. So hashtag OF test event. Yes, we need to learn from each other how to do this right. Absolutely. Because you can make mistakes now and then you're all set for next year because it's only one year to go. And speaking of, we'll have more features and things on our website. We've got some stuff in the works to roll out and get people excited. 
moving on from the happy news of one year to go, uh, we're going to put in some frustrating news, which is on the topic of doping. So uh, the dulcet tones of Jason Bryant got in touch with us and let us know. The Uzbek super heavyweight wrestler Artur Temazov has become the second athlete to be stripped of gold medals from more than one Olympics. So he won in Beijing 2008, had to give up that medal because he was caught for doping, and now he's been caught for doping in London 2012. He also won medals in 2000 and 2004. Right, which I don't but think they're that, going back that far. So I don't know what kind of samples they still have available to them that far back. Right. But clearly, getting caught was never a concern of his. Yeah, which is crazy. And then that means that people have to move up in the rankings. And wrestling's one of those sports that awards multiple bronze medals because it's like gold, silver, and then there's the bronze medal match. Yeah, well, there's a, like two brackets. So whoever wins the 3-4 on either side of the bracket, they both get a bronze medal. And so I asked Jason, like, what happens then? And he said that the person who was on the gold medal bracket side would move up to the gold medal. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Doesn't seem fair, but it does make sense. Right. But I, yeah, I guess that must be where the seating was. So it would be the higher seat is on that gold medal side of the bracket. Well, that assumes, and I was when I was reading the information that Jason sent us, I think the silver medal from 2012 was also stripped. Right. So you're going down pretty far. <sighs> it's like weightlifting where they keep stripping these medals. And it's like, oh, yeah, all of a sudden the person who finished fifth is the gold medalist because everybody else got stripped for doping. So frustrating. And this week at FINA at the World Swimming Championships, doping controversy too. So mm -hmm. this is still not fixed. Right, right. And I keep getting madder and madder. And I, I know, you just want to put them all in a room and say, stop doing that. Oh, don't you just want to, you know, break out the Italian grandmother and all of us? Yeah, no, I want to go and just take, just hit him in the coolie with a wooden spoon, and say, "Stop being do not." See, you can do that, and then I will follow up with going full Majerus on them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe the one-two punch of us <laughs> will scare people straight. Don't you think? I, hope I can. So. Hope. I hope so. We can, you know, because it's clearly Watt is not cutting it. So right. maybe we need to break in the ethnic grandma contingent. Right. And where are their grandmothers? That's what I want to know. I hmm? know. How do they look at themselves? Honestly, how could how much could that medal mean to you when you know you cheated to get it? Yeah. I just I I don't understand it. I mean I I can understand if you don't know you've been doped. But I don't think that happens. I think there's no. not not in these days. We've no. we've all learned from East Germany. You hope. Huh. Well, anyway, let's move on to some more interesting news, and that is Paris twenty twenty four. We talked a few weeks ago about where their surfing competition could be and that they were accepting candidates for it, and they've got five. So are any of them interesting? Because they were talking about French Polynesia and Reunion Island and kind of all these far flung French right. territories. So four of them are in the same general vicinity. So they go from they're all on like the west coast of France. And so I guess it would be north and, and kind of west. You know, where uh, in geography where there's that peninsula that kind of juts out on the. Is this in west the coast? north or the south? This is in, it would be the north side. Okay. So it's kind of a northwest thing. And uh, it would border the northern border of Spain if you kept going down the coast. Okay. Okay, so it's that that side of France. And there's a peninsula that juts out. And that's about the northernmost candidate that has applied for host city. And then the other four of them keep going down closer to Spain. Okay. And then the fifth is French Polynesia. <laughs> so they did get it <laughs> from... Did. Wow. <laughs> but the best part is that I was reading Inside the Games and 
They said, I'm going to quote this, Bach appeared to end French Polynesia's hopes of hosting surfing competitions at the 2024 Games due to the 15,700 kilometers distance from France. It followed yeah. a meeting between French Polynesia President Edouard uh, Fritsch, Vice President uh, Teva Roadfish and members of Paris 2024. The IOC president also indicated the organization's preference for a location closer to the Olympic host city when considering venues. <laughs> I can just imagine how that conversation went. I can see T-Buck. Are you for real? <laughs> just, you know, trying to be, because he is a very gracious and diplomatic it, oh, yeah. exactly. And he knows how to speak. But you gotta go, for reals, for reals, bro. That's what, this is why <laughs> I don't run the IOC, because I would just be like, are you serious? I mean, maybe they had sort of a, they were hoping that T-Bog had a very loose grip on geography. <laughs> <laughs> that he didn't know how far French Polynesia was from Paris. That's, I mean, we talked about this thing. How does that how can you have an Olympic event on the other side of the world from right. where the other Olympics, though it was done in 56. Exactly. With, the... with Well, and but you had an issue of quarantine. This isn't, you have plenty of venues that are much closer to Paris. You don't need, even though I'm, I am sure the surfing is choice in, in French Polynesia. I would expect so. I, I really hope they're not spending a lot of money putting together a bid on this. To get yeah. a dash, because that would be, I think, a huge waste of money. You know, just have a PowerPoint slide that, or even like a handwritten note, we, we would like to bid, <laughs> like a picture of a wave. <laughs> well, they ha you know French Polynesia has to have some beautiful tourist oh, uh, tourism oh, sure. pieces put together. So they wouldn't have to, they probably wouldn't even need new pictures of surfing in French Polynesia. They right. probably have a ton right. of them. Just, just pull but out still. the old presentation. Just You don't even have to, you can just cross it out. Write the new stuff over it. Yeah. As much as I would love the idea of including kind of the far-flung elements of France, it's it's not realistic. Chibok can't fly that far back and forth. And he wants to see the surfing. I know. It's really interesting. All right. Let's move on to Team Olympic Fever update. <laughs> Tofu. Heading to Lima, Peru to compete in the Panning American Games, our Team Olympic Fever Members, Jacqueline Simino, our artistic swimmer, our Samantha Actberg, our modern pentathlete, and Sarah Gascon, our handball player, and Kim Rohde, our Team Olympic Fever shooter. We are excited for you because this is a big event to, that's a big qualifier for some of these people. So I know, like, especially if Team USA handball wins, they go to the Olympics. Right. So, that is very exciting. No pressure for any of you. Hopefully you will have a great meet and a great time in Peru. And we will be watching you. There's At least in the U.S., you can stream it on the Olympic Channel. Jacqueline Simino posted. She's already in Peru. Okay. And she posted pictures of her dorm room. Oh, yeah? It's very tiny. I have to say, it is really tiny. Hey. But the funniest part was they have these freestanding. The rooms don't even have closets. Oh. They have these freestanding fabric things. Like you sometimes see the changing tents on oh, a beach. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's their closet. Oh, interesting. Huh. Not that Jack Jacqueline needs a lot of closet space because it's all bathing suits. Right. But still, I thought that was interesting that, that they didn't even put closets in the room. That's interesting. But keeping costs down, I would imagine. Yes, and it was very colorful. It was so that the closet added color, the bedspread added color. Oh, nice. So it didn't feel so drab. It didn't oh. feel so closet-like. Well, that's exciting. And, so and, I mean, games like this, there's also been the Pacific Games has just ended, and there's been some European games that have been going on as well. And that's really exciting because they include a lot of other sports that don't or are not on the Olympic ticket. And a lot of times it's like the big meet for a good number of athletes in their sports and and it's a way for them to compete internationally and have that big multi-sport multi-cultural festival atmosphere that you get from an olympics so it's very i exciting. was looking at some of the results from the pacific games mm -hmm. and apparently new caledonia has been cleaning up oh really that's yes. interesting i know i was like honestly 
didn't really know it was a country, I'll be honest. All right. So we are rooting for our Team Olympic Fever members at the Pan Am Games. I hope you have a great meet. Also, our Team Olympic Fever translator, Grace Hahn, has an ebook out called Work Remotely and Travel the World, a guide for real people with real responsibilities. And again, I'd recommend the book on title alone because it's got a nice colon. And a great subtitle. And it's Grace. And you know, she just knows so darn much. Exactly. That I'm sure it's very packed. Exactly. So it's on Amazon and we will have a link to that in our show notes as well. And this was really exciting. This is the first time over the weekend, the first time I've heard that there was an Olympic fever meetup of fans. I know. So super fan Sarah and listener Meredith met up at the U.S. Classic Gymnastics Competition in Louisville. Neither of them are from Louisville. They both went there to the competition. And they and, met through the podcast. Which... And they met through the podcast and they posted some pictures. And I was so excited. I know. It It gives me a little, you know, I'm doing a little touch to the heart, touch to my eyes, because it gets, gets me a so little if emotional. You're, if you're going to an event, throw it up on the Facebook group because there can be other Olympic fever listeners going that you don't even realize. Right. And you can meet up and be friends together. That's so exciting. And if, and if you're not in the Facebook group or don't have Facebook, you can also reach out to us on Twitter or Insta. We're at Olim fever, or you, you can email us at info at com. And I think that when we get closer to Tokyo and people have their tickets situated, maybe we'll figure out some way we can have a separate little group for people going to Tokyo and knowing what events people are going to. And then they can have like people to meet and hang out with. And hopefully it'd be nice. Uh, I can't promise anything, but we'll try to have some sort of meetup at some point. For the And project. I will definitely be having watch events on Facebook so you can yes. watch with me. Yes. I don't know as, what I'm going to be contract, watching at the time. Right. And and I realized over this past week, like, we're all going to be contracting uh, sports again. So we need to get those uh, set up. Yes. The spectrum of Olympic-related disorders for yes. our newer listeners. Exactly. So we'll get those uh, posted. You might find uh, T-shirts in our merch store, which you can link to that on our website. New designs coming out. We don't might know. have some sports, might <clears throat> have some treatments for sports. Right. <laughs> See, that's why you need the test event to make sure you have proper treatment setups for sports. <laughs> Hashtag OF test event. That's right. All right. On that note, I think we will wrap it up for this week. We will catch you back here next week for more Olympic stories. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olimfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at olimfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Hashtag OF Test Event.